Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Hui Huin of the Alabama Woodworker, and I'm joined by my friends, Sean Walker of Simple Co. Evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Good evening. And Guy Dunlop of Guy's Woodshop. Good evening. Oh, what a cordial greeting there. This podcast <laughs> is intended to answer your questions, the woodworking community, and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. We also have a Patreon campaign, and we'd like to thank our newest patrons, Miller Mav and Juan Malquai. If you'd like to support the show, we are simply asking for a small donation to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. Please go to patreon.com forward slash woodshoplife if you'd like to show your support. And please stick around to the end of the show. We're going to talk briefly about what we've got going on in our own shops. So with that, let's get right into it. Guy, you've got the first question. All right. So this is from Buffalo Custom Woodworking. I don't know his name, but we'll just say it's from Buffalo Custom Woodworking. And it says, hello, got a question for the show. That rhymes. Will wiping mineral spirits on wood before finishing to get the dust completely off mess with the finish being applied correctly? I have read some places that mineral spirits will not change anything but on Rubio's website, for example, they say mineral spirits can mess with the finish. Just not sure if they're saying this so that you buy their wood cleaner instead. Thanks, Buffalo Custom Woodworking. Well, I've never, well, I shouldn't say I've never used, I did test Rubio Monocoat, and I think on Walnut they tell you to use their cleaner. Is that correct, Wee? I, I believe so, yeah. I think Walnut's the only thing. Mm-hmm. Second of all, Rubio's is for floors, not for furniture. So let's move past that. As far as mineral spirits on wood before finishing, I've never been a fan of it. I don't think it's going to mess with any finish being applied correctly. I don't think that's going to change anything at all. However, if you want to get dust completely off, use a shop vac with a brush. Mm and suck the dust off. Don't blow it with an air compressor and blow it all over your shop because it'll just settle somewhere where you don't want to. Just vacuum it off, and then you don't have to worry about that. That's my take on it. What, Sean, what do you do to, to, to get dust off a piece before you go to finishing? I've tried a few different things, but now I stick with the shop vac with the brush attachment. Okay, good. And I have done the mineral spirits before, but I think that it's easier to just use the shop vac with the brush attachment and in between coats after sanding, I've switched and started using a little while back these blue surgical tack cloths that don't leave any oily residue. And those do a really, really nice job of wiping off the dust in between coats. Have you ever had any, you know, if using mineral spirits before finishing to get the dust off, have you ever had any ill effects from it? No, because I would use that to thin the finish anyway, and it's it's compatible. When I'm talking about before the first coat, never. Huh. Well, I'm, I'm just wondering because I, I, I've i never experienced anything like that. I have done it before, but it didn't get anything off of it really. So I just ended up getting it off the shop back anyways. Plus it's going to push, you know, it's not going to get the stuff out of the, out of the pores. pores. And, yeah. And it's, now I've never used Rubio's stuff. So I don't know anything about their cleaner, why you would do it on walnut or anything like that. I'm a, I'm a simple person that just uses armor seal or min wax wipe on poly. Sure. Yeah. Or shellac. Right. right. And shellac. Yeah. So but, what about you? 
I've done all of the above except for the tack cloth. Um, I actually do have a couple of those uh, tack cloths, Sean, that you had recommended. I just never bothered to try them. Uh, so I've done the, you know, blowing out with compressed air. And you're right, guy. It does kind of just put it all over the shop. So, yeah, the shop back seems to work really well. I have done the mineral spirits before. And I mean, so long as you allow it to flash off, I don't really see why it would even be a problem for, to be honest, with, with Rubio. I, I don't is, know why. Is, is mineral spirits, is, is there any solids that are left behind after it flashes off? I don't believe so. I wonder. I don't think I don't so. Know. Well, it depends. I guess it just sort of depends on whether or not it's like got any, if it has any water in the mineral spirits, I mean, that's just going to raise the grain, I would imagine. So that's probably not good either. But um, I've done the whole mineral spirits thing. But to me, it's kind of just a waste of mineral spirits. <laughs> um, yeah. so. I've used denatured alcohol before. But again, I've, I've never had any any problems with it. No, I haven't either. But again, it just it really doesn't remove the dust, right? Especially if you've got an open open grain wood, it, it just pu- it just pushes it around. Correct, yeah. So you're better off with 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 a shop vac or or compressed air. But like you said, with compressed air, it kind of just reintroduces it into the air and settles somewhere else in your shop, if not right back onto your piece, right? Yeah, I do use uh, tack rags every now and then, but I just I just get those cheap ass tack rags from the tack loss from the hardware store Ugh. <laughs> try some of the uh those blue surgical ones on amazon i'm telling you they're way better why, why just, do they oh, need tack cloths in surgery so that you can get all the blood up <laughs> i think they're used for auto yeah. a lot in auto shops i don't know why it's called surgical though but maybe it's not but i could have sworn that it was i i think it is too but uh the picture on it is all I know is that if I, went and, I went, if I went into like a surge, you know, uh, operating theater and I saw a tack cloth sitting there, I'd be kind of worried. I'd be worried. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they're called surgical blue premium tack rags. I like them because if, if you use those really cheap ones, I mean, if you wipe the surface, you'll see the residue from it on there. These, these are really nice. I mean, they get the dust off and they contain no oils, solvents, silicone or anything uh, that may affect the surface adhesion. And it sounds like I'm reading that straight off of the box. And that's because I'm reading it from Amazon. Okay. I think they're, they're good. Are you getting paid to, to talk about these things? <laughs> yeah. Sur- surgical blue from Datco is, is sending me a, a check every month. A no, big check, Ooh. big <laughs> check of nothing. No, they're not. I just think they're, uh, they're good tack rags. Yeah. All right. Well, they're individually sealed. They're individually sealed. Maybe they're sterile. That's why they're surgical. Maybe could so. be. Yeah. yeah. But no, that I think they're. Uh, there's a difference in quality in those. Hmm. All right, I'll have to give them a try sometime. All right, who's got the next one? It's Sean. Yeah, this guy right here. Mm-hmm. And this one is from Cardinal Custom Woodworking. Hey guys, thanks for answering my last question about the MFT. I was wondering if you all could talk about the cordless tools you use in your shops. I wouldn't say that I'm in the market for new stuff. I've been using the rigid 18 volt for close to a decade, but I'm always curious to hear what other people prefer, use, and why. Thanks for the great show. So I took this question because I, like Cardinal Custom Woodworking, wanted to pick your all's brains on this, but I'm a simple man that only owns a, a handful of cordless tools. I think four is a, I have a, the M12 Milwaukee 
impact driver and drill. They came in a kit that I got mm-hmm. for Christmas uh, when I first started woodworking. And I've got an M12 Milwaukee jigsaw and a Bosch 18 volt half inch drill slash driver. Mm-hmm. So the M12s, I ended up getting the Bosch because the M12s were just, they were too slow for, for drilling applications. So I got the, yeah. the higher power Bosch mm. and I bought the M12 jigsaw because I thought I could use that to break down rough lumber and try to kind of get rid of the miter saw in the shop, but it was way, way too underpowered for that purpose. So I rarely use that jigsaw. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mainly took this question because, you know, after getting some of the fest tool power tools and getting into their ecosystem, I wanted to pick your all's brains because I only have the four power tools and I, I either want to go all one way with Milwaukee or perhaps go the other way with Bosch. But I wanted to pick your all's brain on this because are you aware of a similar ecosystem like Festool has, but for the hand, the cordless power tools without buying more Festool power tools? And what do you guys use for like, what do you use for your power, your uh, cordless power tools now? Do you have some sort of, do you stick to the same brand or what do you have? I, I try to stay within the Milwaukee system because that's what I had bought originally and they have a ton of tools and they keep expanding. The one tool that I really like from Milwaukee that I recently started using is the circular saw. And I particularly like it because my trailer is only so long. I've got like a eight foot trailer and I don't really like boards hanging off the side or the end of my trailer. So if I'm getting uh, a significant amount of lumber from the lumber yard, then a lot of times they're like 12, 14 feet long. I like using that uh, circular saw. It's a 18 volt um, and it uses, it's a gigantic battery that it's not actually not that heavy comparatively to my rear handle uh, worm drive saw. It's just a very convenient thing to have and not have to depend on a power cord. But I but I try to stay within the Milwaukee uh, system. So a lot of the cordless tools that I have, I mean, I've got the same ones that you have, right, Sean? So like the drill, the impact driver. I do. I did buy the twelve volt uh, installation driver that's very similar to the Festool installation driver i think with the four different heads on it you know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. and and that's pretty neat i like that a lot especially because it's not it's not like as powerful as the 18 volt impact driver and drill it's just powerful enough for like more delicate screws and uh, th- things that are going to be going into like wood uh, wood panels as opposed to like you know just driving in like a machine bolt or something like that yeah i, I tend to stay with the milwaukee brand i do have one DeWalt. Is there is there a reason you stayed with the Milwaukee other than they all look the same? Because I have a bunch of their batteries. Okay. And I didn't want I didn't want to have to buy like another charger and a whole bunch of more batteries. Mm-hmm. It's nice that I have all the batteries and they all fit th- those tools, right? Um yeah. and, and that and that's why I stuck with it. And at least for me, I really like it. You know, they they the Milwaukee's uh, line teams tends to work fine for me. I don't use it in like a construction setting. So I really can't say for like its durability and longevity in that type of setting. And I think that's probably the case for, for most of us, maybe different for you guys because you are in a kind of. Yeah, but I don't, I don't work. I don't go to job sites and there's really no abuse to be had. I, for the most part have DeWalt stuff. Yeah. And the reason for it is a, the batteries, not that, they basically all use pretty much the same battery. Mm-hmm. It's that I can buy cheap 
knockoffs of uh-huh. the DeWalt batteries. So I can get like a big five amp hour battery, mm-hmm. a 20 volt for like 30 bucks uh, yeah. on Amazon or 40 bucks. Mm-hmm. I don't have to pay 140, $150 at the home store. Right, right. Like I would with anybody else's stuff. I've had DeWalt for, for many moons, but I right now I have, I only have two, three DeWalt pieces. I have a impact driver, which I rarely, if ever, use. Mm-hmm. I've got a, a drill and I've got the circular saw. And I use a circular saw to break down my rough lumber. It works really well. I've cut a quarter lumber with that all day long. Yeah. Well, at least until the battery dies anyways. <laughs> um, and I own a rigid trim router mm-hmm. because I was going through the Home Depot website once and I saw they had them on sale for $29 without a battery. Wow. And it came in a generic box. Mm-hmm. Was it refurbished? Nope. Brand new. I paid 30 bucks for it and I got delivered to my home for free mm-hmm. and I bought a cheap knockoff battery and charger for it for like 30 or $40. That's so I got a trim, one of the trim routers for it or I got a trim router from them. And then I have a Festool, what the, the, the their model is the CSX, CSX. CXS. Mm-hmm. And that's the little tiny one. It'd be comparable, let's say, a, a 12 volt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in somebody else's line. Mm-hmm. Uh, that thing is just awesome. And I bought that because I like the ability to, it's got an attachment so I can, you know, it has an angled head on it. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of times I wish I had that and I didn't have it. So I, I, I bought one of those. And Festool gave me at one time a, 18 volt Mm -hmm. on their big drills and that thing is pretty nice but it's big and it's heavy Mm. so i've got three different battery chargers sitting on my charging station one for the csx which uses a different battery of course than the 18 volt festool right and then i've got the the dewalt charger and the rigid knockoff no i've got a rigid trim router Right, it's right. A rigid, but it's a rigid knockoff charger and battery. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I rarely use that thing, gotcha, so it's gotcha. not. It's just sitting in a, a drawer. The charger, it's not sitting up anywhere. It's not out in the open anywhere. Yeah. So, you know, for the most part, another reason I like the Dewalt is is it's, there's there's a there's a couple different repair centers here in town for uh. it. It's just more a lot more prevalent mm-hmm. than just about any other cordless manufacturer i can think of sure they make a cordless everything yeah which not all of them do mm-hmm. and uh that's just my two cents on it now what are are you looking at uh something maybe a little bit different sean that you want to try to get into a cordless version of um no something i just too. feel like that i just have a mishmash of of these tools they've worked fine you know mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I would just like to get all of one brand just to share the batteries, but the Milwaukee or M12s. And then, you know, I'm not sure if I would do the, I'd want to go an 18 volt on the, you know, a Milwaukee set as well. So then those are different batteries. And then I'm like, well, I've already got the Bosch 18 volt. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, Ugh, whatever. I'll just keep what I have and not 
and it works for what I need. So, yeah. but I was just thinking it'd be nice to have a complete set of the same brand and all that. But then I get to, well, if I've got to buy something anyways, then I'll just keep what I got. Right. Yeah. right. Hope that helps. Uh, I'm going to pass this off to, what is it? Hui? Yeah. Your turn. Me. Yeah. This is from Sean Moore. It says, hi guys. I recently got a spray system and am beginning to incorporate spray finishing to as many projects as possible. I am starting a new build of Walnut Record Table, a uh, record cabinet, excuse me, and I am contemplating pre-finishing. The finishing, the finished piece will be about sixty inches by thirty inches, so it will be much easier to pre-finish the panels before assembling them. I am thinking of using conversion varnish for the durability. My question is: Should I pre-finish the inside and outside of all of the panels, or just the inside and finish the outside once the whole cabinet is assembled? If I only finish one side, do I have to worry about warping within the few days until I glue it up and finish the other side? On the contrary, it seems it would take quite a bit longer to pre-finish both sides at once, having to wait for a side to dry before you can flip it over for a coat on the other side. I'd love to hear how you guys have tackled pre-finishing a cabinet in the past. I have pre-finish both sides. And when I'm spraying, you'd be surprised at how fast the finish actually, well, it depends on the finish, but generally speaking, if you're spraying like a conversion varnish or something like that, it's going to dry pretty fast. And so um, what I've done is, is if I'm, especially if I'm using dominoes is I will actually um, pre-glue uh, the dominoes on one of the pieces uh, and the, or a couple of dominoes on one of the pieces and a couple dominoes on the other side of the pieces. And what I'll actually use those dominoes, I'll tape them off and I'll have uh, sort of like a, I don't want to say like a story stick, but it, it's a piece of scrap that supports the panel on the table that I'm spraying. And then what I'll do is I'll grab the piece off of those pre-glued dominoes. I'll then set it off to the side on another piece of strips or whatever and rest the, the panel on those loose tenons and let it dry. And so then I'll go all the way through and do all my panels on the inside. And then by the time I go back, it'll be relatively dry or pretty close to completely dry. And I'll flip it over and do the other side. So it's actually relatively fast. It's not, you'd be surprised at how fast it goes. That's what I've done. So I've never actually just pre-finished the inside and then assembled and then done a finishing of the uh, assembled piece. Guy, how have you done it? Have you pre-finished both the in or inside and outside and then assembled? Or have you pre-finished just the inside, assembled, and then done the outside? Yes. <laughs> You've done both. Yes. Um, <laughs> and what, why did you choose one over the other, maybe? Well, it just that's the way things worked out. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if it was really by design. I'm, I'm sure there was some thought going through my head when I was doing it. Uh, but I don't remember what that was for the most part. I mean, we're talking cabinetry. Are we talking like kitchen cabinets? Are we talking like a credenza cabinet? Mm -hmm. I mean, is it a piece of furniture or is it a kitchen cabinet or, you know, something that's going in the bathroom? Mm -hmm. I don't really know. So if it's a, like a kitchen cabinet, or let's say, you know, a vanity. Mm -hmm. What about a walnut record cabinet? Oh, okay. That's right. I'm sorry. I forgot about that. <laughs> um, so that's more of a furniture piece. Yeah. I would, I would 
spray both inside and outside. Before it's assembled. Before it's assembled, yeah. I wouldn't just spray one side. You mentioned like kitchen cabinets, so let's talk about that. I I think you're right. I would probably I'd be, I'd be using I wouldn't be spraying the inside because I'd be using pre finished plywood. Right. Yeah, that's a very very good point. And I did the same thing recently when I did a a, a linen cabinet in my in my remodeled bathroom. For something like well, I say a furniture piece, if I am going to pre finish it, mm-hmm. I'm going to pre finish both the inside and the outside. And what you said before too, we about things drying pretty quick. Mm-hmm. I mean. You know, a lot of these water-based finishes, and you can get, you know, water-based conversion varnish, yep. <clears throat> water-based lacquers, they dry enough in probably an hour, hour and a half, mm-hmm. where you can flip it over as long as you're using something so it isn't like sitting flat on a on a table, Sure, you know, like painting points or whatever. It'll, it'll be fine. Yeah. So how about you, Sean? What, what do you, how would you pre-finish... Maybe cabinetry versus like a furniture piece. Is it kind of the same deal? Cabinetry, I would like. Uh, I would use prefinished on the this walnut record cabinet. I would. Well, I mean, I'm not sprayed a whole lot, but when I did, I would do both sides. So I would be wiping it on, and I would prefinish both sides. So, what are the concerns about this? Let's talk about the concerns. So, Sean <laughs> said. If he only finishes one side, does he have to worry about warping within a few days until I glue it up and finish the other side? I mean, potentially. I mean, it yeah, depends that, on. It could be. Yeah, depends on the material that he's using for the panels. If it's you know solid wood, it's probably going to move sure. on you a little bit more than plywood. Sure. Um, but that's always a concern. So, and what's the downside of pre-finishing both sides and installing it? Is he worried about? a thicker finish on the panels when he sprays the rest of the cabinet. Is that a concern? I don't know. A concern people have, a lot of people have with that is that they, they think they might damage it during assembly and have to go back and fix it. And I, and I, and I, I can see really? that. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Seems like it would be held up better with the finish on there assembling it, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, yes, you are. But, uh, no, I'm I'm do it. We'll do it. Explain, then. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, then a freshly sanded piece. What do you mean? Then a freshly sanded piece. How would that? How would that be any less or more susceptible to damage than a freshly sanded piece being assembled? Yeah, clamps can can damage a finish pretty easy if you don't have a, you know put some kind of pads on them or some kind of protector on there. So that same damage would also apply to having to fix a sanded piece is what you're saying too then. Yeah, but the the, the thing is I'm going to do a lot of surface prep after I've clamped, taken the clamps off. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess I'd have to see the the piece. A lot of my panel. stuff looks pretty rough be- when it comes out of the clamps. I mean, it looks pretty rough. I got to do a lot of cleanup on it. Yeah, but um, if it's a framing panel, you're probably not going to touch the panel unless you're really rough. <laughs> yeah. The, the thing is, the thing is too, if you're doing like a cabinet, uh, you can't put the, and you, you want to spray it after it's built. You have to make sure you leave the back of it off. That mm-hmm. is one thing you, you have to leave off because if you're trying to spray inside a cabinet, that's got a back on it, you're just shooting into like a big shell. Yeah. You're going to get all the no, spray over place. Yeah. It's just going to be a real mess. It's going to be a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, leave the back. That's the only, that's the only recommendation I would 
have is leaving the back off. Yeah, good point. And that's if you're not finishing either sides. Yeah, that's if you're just going to do it and then spray afterwards. I would leave the back off. And I don't see a problem with doing it that way either, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Okay, interesting. Well, uh, Sean, I hope that answers your question. And Sean, I hope that answers your questions. Um, we're going to put it back to Guy. Uh, you've got your second round. All right. Well, this question is from Marlon. And Marlon is a Patreon member. So thank you very much, Marlon. And he asks, so I'm interested in getting a drum sander. Most of its use will be for panel doors, etc." One of the things I really like is a quality piece of equipment that I'm really not going to have too many problems with. Well, that's something we all want. (laughs) I've looked at the Laguna Supermax, uh, the Jet, and the Powermatic. What can you tell me as far as quality in these different models, and what should I be considering or looking for? Is there another company I should consider? Thanks again for a great podcast, Marlon. I took this question for a couple of reasons. First of all, I've owned a, a Supermax before mm-hmm. and I own a Powermax. So I've got two of the three units he's talking about. Supermax still operates as a separate company, I believe. I think they're just owned by Laguna. It's kind of like SawStop is owned by Festool, yep. but SawStop is its own entity. I like my, I had a 1938 Supermax. I liked it. It was a really good machine. It was big. It was heavy. It had more than enough capacity. Then I went from that to the Powermatic 2244, which is a very large machine. And let me tell you, the difference between the Supermax and the Powermatic was like the difference from going from a, to a, from a Yugo to a Mercedes. Huge difference. It wasn't and that it was not in quality. I think in price. I the, in price, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Supermax was a very well built machine. It was a nice machine. Don't get me wrong. The Powermatic, I, that, maybe that's a that was a bad analogy before. It's like the difference between a job site saw and a cabinet saw. One does the job very efficiently and can get it done while the other one is a nice, big, heavy machine. And that's what the Powermatic is to me. Mm-hmm. It's a big floor standing beast of a machine. It's like, a, it, like I said, it's like a machine. It's not just a sander. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It, it works completely differently. It seems to, to do a better job of sanding. I'm a little bit biased towards it. But another thing it has on it, and I thought it was a marketing ploy, was the digital readout. That's a huge thing. It's not a DRO like you would find, you know, like the like the Wixy things you can add on. What it does is it you just set it at zero. It doesn't say that you're at like, you know, two inches or three quarters of an inches or anything like that. After you put a piece through and, you know, you get, it, you get it started, then you can lower the thing by only like, a, you know, a, like a couple thousandths of an inch. Yeah. And it'll tell you it's only been changed a couple thousandths of an inch. That's 
a very, very nice thing when you're doing a lot of sanding, which is something that the other machines do not have. You can get a DRO, but I don't think it's as accurate as what you find on the Powermatic. Another nice thing I like on the Powermatic is that the the way that you adjust the beds to the to the actual roller itself. That's completely toolless. There's just a knob on the side that changes the angle of the bed. So it's really easy to get that really dialed in, literally dialed in really easy. So uh, let me ask you a question about the two your Supermax and the Powermatic. What about changing the paper? I have the Performax old school 1632 mm -hmm. and putting the paper in on the right side of that thing drives me insane. I can never get it to lay flat. The Supermax was easier to get the paper on. I will say that. The Powermatic is still pretty easy. It's not as easy as the Supermax was, but the Powermatic is still pretty darn easy. I still change paper in it quite often because I actually progress through the grits. I don't have a problem with it laying flat. So is it like the, I don't know if you ever used the Performax, but like you just, you have those springs on the ends, you stick your finger in there and lift it up and push the paper in there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Supermax, I think the Performax that you had, that was actually, that company was bought by Jet. Yep. And then the people that started Performax actually revived the brand as Supermax. That's right. Yep. If that makes sense. Yeah. So the Supermax is actually a modern day equivalent of the Performax. But I think because of licensing stuff, they couldn't call it Supermax anymore because Jet bought the name. The Jet stuff is very similar, obviously, to the Performax stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I have not used the Jet. Jet and Powermatic are the same company. Yeah. It's Jet, Wilton, and Powermatic. And um, the, some of their machines are very similar, but they're also very different. They're similar, maybe size and footprint in the castings, but they're difference in the features. Yeah. Fit and finish. Yep. Yeah. Quality. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you had bought a new uh, drum sander, Sean. For some reason, I thought you had, you bought the jet oscillating one. No, I wanted to. I just haven't no. done that yet. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've considered it because of the oscillating feature. I haven't pulled the trigger yet because I just haven't been in the shop that much lately. But it, yeah. I mean, it's definitely something I've fought with the that drum sander over the weekend. I mean, it's the old one that doesn't have like the um, the sensor on it to determine the yeah. load to slow it down. It doesn't have any of that stuff. So it's it's really really old. Probably I don't know, fifteen years old. It, I would say. But I would like to get the jet oscillating. Maybe it's a gimmick, but I don't know. Yeah. Have you talked to anybody that has one of those? Nope. Didn't Eric at the Poplar shop have one of those? No, or he, he just has had a twenty-two forty-four. Yeah, but it's, yeah, I don't think it's the oscillating. I, don't I think I even that. asked him after that podcast, and he said no. Okay, we the only drum sander I have experience with is a Supermax, and I got it out of a recommendation from you, guy. When I was looking, you remember I talked to you. About yeah, it. it's uh, I it it's a good it's a good machine. Great I have, machine. Yeah, I can't say anything bad about it. I mean, I I love it because whenever I need it, I just roll it out and, you know, it 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 fires up and works fine, you know. It, it I've never had any struggles or problems with it uh, at all. I, I love it. 
it's great for veneers. It's that's what I usually most mostly for, but yeah. And for that 19 inch size, you know, it's a, with an open end cantilevered end on it for the price. I think those were what, like maybe $1,400, $1,500 now. Yeah. Yeah. I think at the time when I got it, it was like 1200 or 1100. Yeah. It might be 13, 14, 15. It's, it's in that price range. That's a hell of a lot of sander for the money. Yep. I agree. It really is. Yeah. I know the Powermatic is significant. I think it's well over three. 2700 It's 2700 Okay. So I, I, with, with shipping. Yeah. Unless, you can find, unless you can score free shipping. Yeah. Anyways, I, I hope that gives you some insight, Marlon. The Supermax, if you're on a budget, man, I don't think you can really beat it, to be honest with you. The Powermatic is a completely different beast. Yeah. Than, than the Supermax is. It's very hard to quantify why it's better. You would have to just physically use it. It's like, the, you know, like we were talking about the Lamello biscuit joiner. Mm-hmm. It's like the difference between a DeWalt biscuit joiner and a Lamello biscuit joiner. It's just that much nicer. Yep. <laughs> Fit and finish the, the, is really good. Yeah. It's like a tank. Yeah, it, it's built like a tank. Yeah. It's built like a tank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is like wheeling out a big, you know, which it is, it's a big 500 and some pound machine. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a beast. Yeah. So, yeah. And that, and that makes a difference when you're putting tabletops through there, you know, you don't have to worry yeah. about it moving. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Sean, you're next. All right. This, this is a loaded question, but here we go. Do you think machine cutting joinery, instead of doing it by hand dovetails, for example, makes the finished product less desirable to a client or the general public? I've been practicing my hand cutting of joinery for about a month now, and I think I would enjoy other aspects of building much more, but I don't want to lose the potential customers by not having that aspect in my builds. I look forward to your feedback and keep up the great work. Thanks, Miller. Now, like I said, this is this is a juicy question. Um, this is just my opinion. I don't sell furniture, so take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but like I said, I don't I don't sell furniture but that doesn't mean that I'm not allowed to have an opinion on the matter. And that is 99.9% of the time, the general public they're they don't know, or they don't care if it was a hand cut versus a machine cut dovetail. As long as it's a well-made piece using nice lumber, I don't think it matters one bit. And if, obviously if the price is, is right for them and, and they can afford it, I don't think they're going to care. Now, if you do get a potential client that specifies hand cut joinery or even understands what the difference is, Obviously, you're going to have to take a step back and you're going to have to change your plans and, you know, cut it by hand. There are certain people that uh, that that know the craft and enjoy a hand built piece and, and are going to set those expectations. But you'll probably be able to pull that out when you're talking to them. And I think you're going to have to adjust your prices accordingly and in, in your and in their expectations of a timeline. But there are clients and, you know, I've, I've dealt with family members that have, uh, you know, worked in the antiques and ha- um, dealt with auctions and whatnot. There are people that understand what hand cut dovetails are and can look for them and look for signs and, and know the difference. But they know they're going to have to pay the, the higher price and they know that things are going to take longer. But they do respect hand cut stuff like dovetails, nice, solid lumber but they're they're out there. But ninety nine percent of the time, you're you're going to have the general public that are not not going to care. 
Uh, but having said all of that, this really only applies in my opinion, unless you guys can think of others, but to dovetail joinery as that's probably the only joint that you could tell a difference between hand cut and machine cut, you know, things like mortise and tenons, half laps and other joinery methods. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to tell a difference unless imperfections are what they want, because it's hard to beat a dado stack or a tenoning jig for cutting tenons. And you're never going to see the mortises unless you do a through mortise. Yeah, so how, how, how are they supposed to know if it's hand cut or not? Yeah, if you can't on what? see it. On a mortise and tenon. They can't see it anyways. You could put a domino in there. You could use dollars. They wouldn't even know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's why you I'm saying You could say, it. oh, yeah, it's hand cut. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I think this pretty much, <laughs> this only applies to to through or to uh, dovetail joinery, not, yeah, through and half lap or through and blind. Yeah, I can't think of any other joiner other than dovetail. So, and even then. 99% of the of the people that's going to buy from you, unless they're, they know the game, I don't think they're going to care as long as it's well-made furniture that looks good. That's my opinion on the matter. I know this is a touchy subject that uh, we could talk about for a while, but, you know, Guy, <laughs> let's go ahead and hear what your thoughts are on, on this. Well, my thoughts on dovetails. Let's just talk about dovetails. In general. In general, for a second, I, I keep hearing this thing over and over again that hand cut dovetails are the mark of a true craftsman. I've never heard that. Or a piece of quality furniture made by a true craftsman. Hand cut dovetails means you can cut hand cut dovetails. The rest of the furniture, piece of furniture, could be a total design nightmare and a piece of crap. But I got hand-cut dovetails that look nice. Doesn't mean a damn thing. Dovetails in and of themselves, I don't even like to do. I only The only reason I do dovetails is if people request it or I'm, doing a, I'm making a cabinet for YouTube and I'm doing drawers. Most of the time, I'm using dominoes, pocket screws, anything but dovetails. I've done rabbited joints, with, with nails shoved through them. I mean, I just don't care. I think it's a bunch of hooey. So that being said, you're absolutely right, Sean. I'd say less than one out of a hundred people know what a, a, what a dovetail is and less than that actually could tell the difference between a machine cut and a hand cut dovetail. Mm Mm-hmm. The rest of the joinery stuff, unless you have this big discussion with your client at the, the outset, you're trying to explain to them why your piece is $10,000 versus somebody else's, you know, from Craigslist that's 700 Well, I do hand cut mortise and tenon joinery and blah, 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 blah. That may mean something to some people. Mm-hmm. For the most part, all you're going to do is you're going to get a glazed over expression on their face when you start talking to them about that stuff. So what they're mostly concerned about is the overall look of the piece. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to demand high dollars for your, for your furniture, you know, you should have professional photographers shoot your, your well-made stuff. So you can have a portfolio to show a customer because that's what they really care about. Mm-hmm. is how the piece is going to look. Mm-hmm. Don't concern yourself whether it's hand-cut or machine-cut joinery because it doesn't really matter. Hand-cut dovetails are is for 
widely, not all, but widely used by hobbyists, not professionals. There are people like uh, Christian Bexfort mm-hmm. who can probably hand cut a dovetail faster than he could do with the jig. And that's Absolutely. why. Yeah. That's, but everything else is done with the machine. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so if he's doing like mortise and tenon, uh, he's got a mortising machine. So, you know what I mean? Yep. It's just, it's just all a bunch of hoo-ha. It is. But that's not to say there aren't people out there that don't respect that. It's a very, very small percentage. Right. It's a, right. Yeah, it's few and far between. Those are the clientele that you wish to get because they're going to pay you what they, you know, what you believe it's worth. They understand yeah. that. But the general public, they're going on Craigslist and finding something okay. that's cheap. But you're still going to find people that can appreciate a nicely built piece of furniture. Mm-hmm. But you start talking mortars and tenons and hand cut this. Like I said, their their eyes roll back in their head. They don't want it. They don't, they don't care. And there's nothing wrong with machine cut dovetails. Nothing. No, no. Nope. Nothing. They work just as well. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Nothing. Especially if you're trying to make money. I mean, For bust sure. it out. Move on to the next piece. But wait, what do you think? I'm on board. <laughs> You know, when I hand cut dovetails, you know, I, like for instance, this this most recent piece I'm working on, I do it not because oh, it's going to make it even more desire. I do it because I just enjoy doing it. It's not because I feel like it's going to make the price value of this piece that much greater. It doesn't matter. You know, if you want to do it for your own enjoyment, do it for your own enjoyment. You know, and, and like you said, I think you guy, you hit the nail on the head there. It's like most hobbyists are going to, you know, wax poetic about dovetails or something like that. Right. Yeah. They're going to care more about that. Yeah. It's great. These are hand cut dovetails, but the drawer sticks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So again, if, if it makes you happy, do it, but I don't think you're going to not sell a piece to the general public because it wasn't a piece of hand cut joinery. Um, what matters more is the cohesion of the piece, how it looks, um, when it's done, uh, the attention to certain other details, uh, you know, proportionality, you know, the kind of finish that you put on it, um, uh, how how well you uh, you sanded the piece, you know, how how well you uh, were able to get the drawers to fit right. If they're sticking. Yep. Well, what the heck was the point of having hand cut dovetails if it's still? Well, on, my, on my on my really really nice pieces of furniture, I usually use uh, full extension drawer slides. That way, I don't have to worry about. There you go. Yeah, now I will. I will mention. That's, that's. I was being sarcastic, of course. Well, I mean, I've seen some really nice pieces with full extension drawer slides. On the sides? No, the not drawer? on the sides. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Undermounts. Yeah, those. I, I was not talking undermount. I was making a joke. Oh well. <laughs> I, I will shift away from that and give you an, a great example of someone that I follow on Instagram, um, Greg Ryeski from the Roaring Woodwork. He started out using the lead dovetail jig. He makes beautiful furniture, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, the designs are fantastic. He's since graduated to hand cutting all of his dovetails, but I mean, he's a perfect example that you can't let hand or uh, machine cut dovetails stop you from not making beautiful furniture. He's a great example yeah. of, it doesn't matter that he, they were machine cut dovetails. It was amazing designs, well-built, great material. He was selling furniture. He's hand cutting stuff now, but you know, just a perfect example of what we're talking about. I would never be able to tell. It looks great. Looks wonderful. 
this stuff. Yep. Hopefully that helps. Well, I think I've got the last question. And the last question is from Heath. He says, hey, guys, I just recently started listening to the podcast and I've already learned a lot. I followed you on Instagram and have been really inspired by your work. Uh, I imagine he's talking about all of us or maybe just guy. I started a woodworking business this year and I'm constantly yeah, trying probably to probably uh, I'm st- I started a woodworking business this year and I'm constantly trying to set up my shop to be the most beneficial for my daily tasks. One of the things I'm trying to improve right now is my dust collection. I'm currently I currently have the Harbor Freight dust collector that I have run to my larger machines like the table saw, bandsaw, jointer and planer. I'm trying to cut down on the amount of dust that is in the air in my shop as much as I can. My question for you is, is there anything wrong with setting the dust collector completely outside of the shop in order to take one more step to keep the dust out of the shop? And part of the reason I am asking this question is because I actually live in the middle of the woods with no neighbors around to me so that uh, dust blown into their yards or, you know, they can't complain about the dust being uh, in their yards or sound of the dust collector. I also wonder if this would eliminate the need for a filter. And I would also obviously cover the dust collector in some way to keep it from the elements. Thanks for the help you guys provide on the podcast and keep up the good work. So bunch of questions there. The first one is, is there anything wrong with setting the dust collector completely outside of the shop to keep the dust out of the shop? I don't see a problem with that. Um, I know a lot of people that do that and a lot of professional shops that do that. Guy, is your, in your commercial shop, is, is the dust collector outside or is it inside? Well, they're, they're inside. They're inside. And yeah. I think for all of us, we, I think all of us can say we, we have our dust collectors inside. Am I correct on that? I have my yes. dust collector on the inside. Is the reason why in your commercial shop, because you live in Indy, it gets pretty cold there. Um, is it because of heating and cooling, keeping the air inside the shop relatively warm in the winters? Because we're in a commercial business park. We can't be throwing dust out to the, the street. We've got it's, we've got plastic bags, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there are three on each dust. We have two dust collectors, each with mm-hmm. three fifty-five gallon bags underneath it mm-hmm. that we change out probably four to five times a day. Yeah, yeah. All those bags. So I mean, we're, we go through a lot of bags. Yeah. On yeah. top of those are filter tubes. Mm-hmm. They're just cloth filter tubes. The air goes right back into the shop. Okay. Okay. The uh, commercial, well, it's technically not a commercial shop, but the community workshop that uh, I'm a part of or used to go to, they had a big like 10 horsepower dust collector. It was outside, but it, but they collected all the, the dust in bins. And, uh, and I was, I was curious about that as to whether or not they actually recycle the air and they, they do. And, of course, it's going through all the filters and whatnot. Um, but I don't see a problem if he has a whole bunch of woods around him and no neighbors. So there, so this commercial, this workspace you're talking about, they have the dust collector sitting outside, but they bring the air from uh, the the exhaust back into the shop. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I don't see 
for his shop. You know, he's out in the middle of the woods. I don't see. I think he's just talking about setting it outside. I don't think he's talking about like blowing the dust outside. And to me, that's the way I took it. Mm -hmm. It's just setting the dust collector completely outside in a covered Mm -hmm. area. That's that's sort of the way. But but if you do that and you leave it on for a while, it's going to suck the heat out of your shop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and leave it outside. That's what I thought would be a concern. Um, I don't know how how much it's going to. I mean, if you left it on for a while, it might. I yes. Think. Yes. No, it but will. You'd have to leave it on for a while. Yeah. And and that's what I've sort of read too when I kind of researched this question is that uh, you know if you're if you're turning it on and off when you're at the machines and not having it run like all the time, then it's not as big of a problem, obviously. Um, but if you're cycling the air in your shop several times over because it's on all the time. Yeah. I think, I think that's going to be concerned about keeping it heat cool and cool in the summers and, and warm in the winters. Yeah. I think it just, it depends on where he lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that might be a case too. Um, one thing that I did read about this whole, you know, putting the dust collector outside and not like venting the air back in. And I, I imagine this is what he's, what he's considering doing is not venting the air back in because he's talking about not having like the, the, uh, fine dust, um, filters. Yeah. Yeah. Is it creates a negative air pressure. And of course that's what's drawing the cool air in, but one thing to maybe be worried about, and this is somebody who had, you know, really looked into this quite a bit on some of the forums that I looked into is if you have like a wood burning stove or some type of gas um, gas heater, the concern is drawing carbon monoxide back into the shop. Again, I know nothing about it, but maybe just something to look drawing into. Drawing carbon monoxide into the shop from where? From the wood burning stove or gas uh, gas. No, where? How's it drawing it in? You talking from- about if it returns the air back in? No, 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 no. So this is like drawing it from the. F- from like from the stove itself. Oh, pulling it in and out yes. of there instead of letting it filter out. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a pretty crazy. Uh, huh. Again, I know nothing about it. That's just something that I read and something that um, sounded kind of like, Hmm, that's interesting. I guess I never thought about it in that way. Wouldn't it do the same if it were in the shop on? No. Cause that's the stuff's lighter oh, there. So I got you. Going up. With yeah. it being out. So right. with it being out with the negative pressures that we were talking about? Correct. Yeah, yeah. drawing all that air out. Again, I know nothing oh, about this. I, I can't gotcha. say that I. this is just something I that, would hey, think that you'd have to have a pretty small shop and, and a, a pretty, pretty powerful. damn powerful air uh, or a, a dust collector to create that kind of negative pressure. Yeah, at that and only I would think. I would think only so, one too. blast gate open at a time, would that, I mean, that would be pretty intense, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right. I think you're right. But again, it's just something yeah. that I read and something maybe to consider. Know, I've, I've I've seen I've seen photos and stuff where these some guys are you know taking their dust collector and they're just spitting the dust right outside. Yeah. Yep. There's not even a they don't even put a bag on. Mm-hmm. It's just going right yeah. out of the shop. Yeah. I think Spagnolo used to do that. He kept his dust collector in the shop, but would spit the stuff out. Really? A long his, time in, ago. In his like his like gigantic shop in Arizona? Uh, I think even before that. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah, long um, like a long OG wood whisper. <laughs> OG OG wood whisper. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know. I my only concern with it would be is in the summertime, where yeah. I you know I I'm it's fairly cool in my shop. I don't have a mini split or anything like that, but it stays cool in the shop, and in, in the winter time especially, I don't want to lose the heat in my shop. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's what I, that's, that would be my concern, you know, yep. not about carbon monoxide or anything. I don't, I don't care if I die, but, uh, <laughs> I, I, I want to be warm when I die. Right. <laughs> so I'd be more concerned about losing the heat and the air conditioning, but I think it would take quite a bit to For, really make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How long he runs it? Are you running it all day? Yeah. Yeah. And so let's say, let's ask, let's answer the second. I also wonder if I would, if this would eliminate the need for a filter, if you're sticking it outside, yeah, I think I, it would. Yeah. I don't see why you would need it if you're not returning the air. Yeah. Yeah. And it, actually not putting a filter on it would make the mm-hmm. system run more efficiently. Right. Right. There's, there's no back pressure there. on it. Yeah. No, there would be no back pressure on it. Right. Mm-hmm. So you'd have a freer flow of the, the air going throughout the system. Right. Right. And he says here, and I would also obviously cover the dust collector so uh, in in some way to keep it from the elements. So you know, obviously, yeah, yeah it's covered. Yeah. It's you know, I I don't know. I I still would probably want to contain it in some way. I I don't know. That would just be me. But maybe that's because you know I'm not out in the middle of the woods and contain what the you know you talking about a filter or like a bag to catch the chips a bag or some type of room or like a container of some sort just to. Just well, a bag to catch the chips is one thing, but to yeah. filter out the air, the the exhaust is a different thing. Right, right, right. You know, I'm not t- like a like the like a instead of having filter a, a a filter bag on top of it, mm-hmm. cloth bag or a, a cloth bag or a felt bag or a filter cartridge on top of it, you're mm-hmm. just exhaust right outside. Yeah, you're getting rid of it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's still going into the into the, the 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 dust chips are still going into the bag, but all the fine stuff is just getting blown out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, Heath, I hope that helps you in some way. Uh, you know, I don't think it's too much of a concern if you want to sort of just spit it out there. Go right ahead. I don't think you're going to be drawing enough to have that much carbon monoxide in your shop if you've got some type of wood or gas burning stove. But eh, maybe get a you know carbon monoxide alarm in the house. All right, so that answers all the questions. Let's talk about what we've got going on in the shop. Let's go to Guy first. Yeah. What do we got going on in my shop? My shop here at home, nothing. There you go. <laughs> what about work? I know you got a ton of stuff going on there. Uh, at work, the kind of the usual stuff. I've been building some cabinets. I've got like three or four different projects going on most of the time I finished some cabinets I made today. I got a bunch of new projects today for a school. I have a, a shelf system to build. That's kind of like an art artsy fartsy shelf system mm-hmm. that some designer designed and it's horrid. It's horrible. I'd rather have a, a little drawing from a pen, you know, with a pencil and a piece of paper <laughs> from some people and with the crap that this designer gave me. Oh um, 
but I've got that going. I've actually got a, a piece coming up that's actually going to be a piece of real furniture and we're charging real furniture money for it. So as soon as I got one more question needs to get answered about the design. And once that question gets answered, I'm getting pulled off of everything nice. to work on this exclusively because it's going to take me probably a month to make. Are you pretty excited about it? Yes. Cool. Yes. So I love that, uh, that drawing that you yeah. posted on Instagram of this is what usually I have to work with. And it's literally. Yeah. So anybody listening to this, go back on my Instagram to November 11th and uh, you'll see what I'm typically given for drawings <laughs> of what I need to make. <laughs> so About the equivalent of what a second grader could draw. <laughs> Yeah, the best comment was, you know, you should make it look exactly like that. <laughs> uh, how about you, Sean? What do you got going on in the shop? Uh, working on the curved front cabinet. Um, mm -hmm. I've not made much progress. I got sidetracked with dishwasher issues, having to replace it, pull the old one out, wait on another one to be delivered, install the new one, and life got in the way. And then, you know, had some shop time last night. Went to uh, route the sliding dovetails, uh, machine cut dovetails, and the freaking, I must not have tightened the bit down enough. The quarter inch bit moved on me a little bit. So there's going to be an Easter egg in this YouTube video of one of the slots having a quarter inch groove deeper than the dovetail bit. But, you know, it's not going to be seen and it, it's it's not going to mess with the uh, structural integrity of the sliding dovetail. It's just going to have an extra little groove at the bottom uh, by about a sixteenth of an inch on one slot. So that sucked. Um, I've got to fix that, uh, meaning tighten the bit and do the other three sliding dovetails and and uh, continue working on the cabinet. That's uh, about one question I have to ask you. Did did you install the dishwasher yourself? Yeah, you're a handy guy. <laughs> I mean, if you ever installed a clothes <laughs> washer, <laughs> it's a a drain, a water hose, and a power cable. I'm just teasing. I'm just and what teasing. sucked is the cable. Uh, the cables that I had and the hole that I had to run them through, I had to I had to do it, run the cables, and then connect it to the dishwasher, which is backwards from how I would have normally done it. Like I like I sound like I install these every weekend, but <laughs> so it was a uh, it was a little complicated and to have long enough cables, so I had to I had to mess with that. Did but, you get a nice quiet one? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. First one lasted ten years and it was cheap. It was a uh, one they put in when they built the house, and um, so now I got a real a real nice one that's quiet and has three three levels and it's nice. So what do you got going on in your shop, Hui? Well, it's funny that you mentioned dishwasher, Sean. I had to replace the heating element on my clothes dryer. Um, but in the shop, I uh, I just finished my Windsor rocker. So I, uh, I painted that, got the red on, got the black on, buffed it. Then applied the uh, wiping poly, wiping varnish, whatever you want to call it. Waxed it, and uh, it's done. It's all finished. I'm very happy about it. Love, love the way it looks. Um, love the way. You put wax it. on a a rocker. Yeah, yeah, but but if you like sit on, aren't you gonna like, slide right out? Oh, it's not that slippery. <laughs> okay, I'm just wondering. Was it's it not that slippery. Was a joke. <laughs> okay, I don't even know. <laughs> But yeah, I, I got that done. Uh, that's about all I got done since the last time um, I talked to you guys. I've been 
kind of busy with work, but, uh, is there, is there, is there some new rockets launching we need to know about, or you're not allowed to talk about it? <laughs> oh, there are new rockets all the time launching. Um, but you're not allowed to talk. I'm about not allowed to talk. No, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but, uh, I've got, uh, I'm, I'm going to start trying to design and figure out a kitchen table. My wife wants, uh, for, for the new house. So that's probably the next thing on the table that I got to work on. So literally on the table, literally. Mm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, well, I think that wraps up this show. Please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have questions, woodworking questions, please send them through the podcast <laughs> contact page thanks at for, thanks for qualifying that. <laughs> or DM us through Instagram at Woodshop Life. And if you have other life questions, send them to simple. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah. <laughs> you can send them to me. I'll just ignore it. Please. Yeah. <laughs> Unless I find it really entertaining. Yeah. Uh, we would also like to thank everyone who has left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us in the search rankings. And of course, we truly appreciate the support and feedback. And you can reach me at alabamawoodworker.com and all the links to my social media are on my website. Guy, where can we find you? Uh, guyswoodshop.com. And Sean? Before I say that, if you really want to support the podcast, share this with at least three other people that you think would enjoy it. That would help us. But you can reach me at simplecove.com and at simplecove on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, what other crappy TikTok social networks. <laughs> no, I don't I don't I don't deal with any of that stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, great. Thanks guys for uh for listening. And uh guys, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. All right. Alrighty. See you.